0: Is so beautiful, you know. Come play. Flip the page. Dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Late list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had yours. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits you, feel no pain. Crane. For the fantasy championship dynasty. hit the books kid read this pamphlet called the dynasty o- o- owner's manual it, it, it's automatic D- dynasty it, it's automatic owner's manual it, it, it's automatic dynasty It it's automatic,
1: it, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors chris allen and Adam Wildy. All right, everybody, and welcome back. Uh, this is episode 11 of the Dynasty Owners Manual Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Allen, and we have once again. I mean, the guests just keep on rolling in, and the quality continues to. I mean, just bring us in with uh, you know wonderful shows week to week, and this week is no exception. We have. The great gift maker himself, Jake Anderson, in with us on the pod today. And Jake's a writer over at Dynasty League Football, co-host of the new podcast. I want you guys to go check it out, called Dynasty Crossroads, uh, with the great Peter Howard, who we had back in Episode 8. Well, actually, we wound up having to bring Peter on twice, because he had so much stuff to actually speak with us. But we only got his co-host in... Uh, for one episode. So we're gonna have to make it up to you somehow, Jake, because we can't really let Peter have more episodes than you. We'll figure it out. But in either case, Jake, again, we appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us this evening and go over some film work. But how are you doing tonight, man?
2: I'm doing good. I appreciate you guys having me on. And I know how Peter can be. He can be a little bit long winded. And part of that is because he's so he's so damn smart. And uh, he has so much to say. And it's, it's hard to get it out of him sometimes. But yeah, happy to be here, guys. Thanks for the invite.
1: Yeah, most deaf. I think while we were talking with Peter, that was one of the things that we were noticing is that if he would start and then man, he would just go. Go. I mean, it, like he would just like start rattling off numbers and start talking about this player and like how they you know, how they were in college and how they're actually performing in the NFL. And it's just it's amazing to get the to be able to recall that much information just off the top of your head. I mean it just blew my mind. Uh, also with us tonight, of course, is uh, my partner in crime, uh, Adam Wildey. Adam, how you doing, man?
0: I'm doing well. I'm just happy to have been serenaded by the great Gabe Gearing, FF Man Bun, uh, with those awesome tunes to start us off.
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I can't get enough of that, that intro track that we've got for the show, so shout out to uh, the great Gabe for, for putting that together, Hopefully you guys are also following him as well on Twitter. Check him out also on the uh, the Open Bar podcast. I know those guys long-winded themselves because they I mean once they start going I mean you can be talking football with them for hours. So it's wonderful, a wonderful discussion to have with them. But Jake, we're here to talk with you tonight and I mean you are on top of being again the the AVI maker for the SFB. Most of your work is within a, within film instead of and also uh, against Peter's uh, analytical background, that's part of how you guys got together on the Dynasty Crossroads. So here, uh, I wanted to at least uh, quickly pick your brain, real because if you guys hadn't been able to check for the folks listening at home, I just recently uh, put out a piece uh, with four for four on Deshaun Watson. One of the things, or at least my approach to looking at Watson, was that because he only started you know, five or six games uh, last year. It's very hard for us to try and project how he's going to perform in 2018. I mean, he was great in college. I mean, we'll give him that. And for the six games that he played in, I mean, that guy was putting up highlight reel after highlight reel. Uh, so, When it comes to studying film, I mean, at least my process was going through, I mean, I was looking through YouTube, I was going through like NFL videos, things of that nature in order to actually see him on the field and be able to rewatch some of the things that he was displaying. Uh, Mark Schofield, uh, he was also gracious enough to let me kind of walk through some of the film that he was able to study, like while Deshaun was still at Clemson. But for you, Jake, what are some of the resources that you use when you go to study film?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's... A lot of the film evaluation tends to be pre-draft uh, rookie prospects. That's that's where I really like to dive in. And during the NFL season, you know, it's just I record as many games on the Sunday ticket as I can, and I utilize Game Pass to go watch games back uh, quickly and with some coaches film there. But I do miss draft breakdown as, as a rookie draft analyst and evaluator, having every player in the same spot, uh, Cut-ups, it was, it was so nice, and I certainly miss that. So a lot of it's just through YouTube, searching through through games, and, and most prospects, at least, you can find plenty of games on them, you know, the lower end, uh, the later-round prospects, you certainly can't get as much film on. But I'm in no means an expert in this category. I don't put in thousands of hours that Matt Waldman or Elliot Chris does. <laughs> I just enjoy the process, and I think naturally as – fantasy football players or evaluators, or we're not scouts, but we like to think ourselves as scouts, is you naturally have a feel for one set or the other, whether it's film or analytics, it kind of depends on your personality and how your brain works there. And I've always just been a, a tape guy by trade, and that comes much more naturally to me. And I'm always, having this podcast with Peter is great just because I'm learning in the process and trying to improve my own process.
0: Yeah, I love that. Jake, I used to go to draft breakdown as well, so kind of sucks that that's not available anymore, but I used to be the uh, Julian Edelman of film in high school, so I used to grind out that film as well. So this offseason, when I was getting more into dynasty football, I found that there was two sides of every story, and the film side spoke to me a a lot, and it usually um, gives you Kind of the rest of the story that the analytics gives you, this guy looks really good. Oh, and he's also producing very well. Funny how that works out. So today we're going to break down all four positions, starting with QB and ending at tight end. So could you go ahead and let us know what kind of things you're kind of looking at to check off the list when you're watching a QB prospect on film?
2: Yeah, and I think this is pretty cut and dry. If you if you ever hear me talk about quarterback evaluation, if you hear really anybody talk about quarterback evaluation on, from a film perspective, you're going to hear these same type of attributes, I think. And it really starts with accuracy. I think that's above all the most important attribute for a quarterback. And then going down the list, anticipation, whether it's a pre-snap read, and that's that's a segue to the player that we're going to talk about later, which I thought he showed well in and is a – a, college player you don't see that very often anticipation intelligence uh and some of these are especially at the quarterback position they're intangibles (laughs) they're really hard to evaluate because you don't get to see these players behind the scenes but you know you do what you can as much as you can as a film evaluator but awareness footwork ability to slide in the pocket and it's not necessarily about athleticism there and like tom brady is not athletic whatsoever but His ability to move his feet in the pocket is extremely good. So he has good feet. And then I I do like an improvisation quality that a quarterback has to be able to, you know, the Russell Wilson, Brett Favre effect, being able to get out of the pocket and and make plays outside of the pocket because plays break down so often. So those are some of the attributes that I'm looking for. And I think any evaluator would be looking for.
0: So the player you alluded to a little was Josh Rosen. What are some of the pros and cons you found with him in the pre-draft process?
2: Josh Rose and I love him, and I think he's very pro-ready. I think his pocket presence and his feet in the pocket are extremely good. When he has a clean pocket, at least, I think he has the best fundamentals in this class, and that's a that's a hard thing to teach a prospect, especially when the bullets are flying and they're thrown they're in a new playbook. And then on top of that, trying to improve their footwork or their release time or whatever that is, um, having those good, quiet feet and um, – natural feel and calmness in the pocket I think is part of why I love Rosen so much and then his short to intermediate reads and and his accuracy in those realms I think is really good I think it's top-notch um he's probably my favorite probably my favorite I don't know if he's the best I don't think he I don't know if he has the highest ceiling but he's probably my favorite quarterback prospect in the last three years um so that short to intermediate game, he hits the throws that he's supposed to hit. you know. And above on that, I think he does have a strong enough arm to hit every pass on the field. And his deep accuracy is good. I don't think it's as good as his short to intermediate. But he can hit any throw on the NFL field, so I'm not really worried about that at all. And like I said, what I alluded to earlier was... Uh, you'll see him in college sometimes make uh, checks with his offensive line. So I think he's pre snap reads and ability to know what's going on with the defense. And you see that in college so much where they're getting the plays from the sidelines and, you know, they're just basically just doing whatever they're told. And so the NFL is a much more in depth in the league with play calling and the check audibles. So the quarterback can make those kind of reads on the field. I think that's a huge advantage to be able to check out of a player or, uh, change of protection for the offensive line. So I love seeing that as a college player. The main concerns I have for him are he did have two concussions in less than a month and he he does have a torn rotator cuff surgery. Those are some concerns. I mean, uh, obviously as a quarterback concussions aren't quite the problem. Uh, We've seen Aaron Rodgers have multiple concussions. They're generally not taking those big head shots very often. So hopefully that's not an issue. I think almost the, the torn, uh, Rotator cuff or labrum? I, th- I think it was rotator cuff. Um, with his throwing shoulder, that that's a little worrisome.
1: Uh, but if I'm not mistaken, was that a result of him playing football, or is that more from the tennis? Because he was a player, right?
2: He was a tennis player, but that rotator cuff ha- happened. I think it was in 2016 or 2017. Oh, okay. So I wasn't. Was, I, I forget. It was recently, but I know he did have. Um, I'm not sure if it was what, what part of his arm, but I think it was maybe a shoulder injury from tennis and that's what actually made him stop playing mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, but building off of that, so when it comes to when it comes to Rosen, I think if we're looking at the team in general, I think the team has a number of besides just him, a number of young assets. In both, You've got the elite and David Johnson. Uh, they also drafted Christian Kirk, whom everybody seems to love, who seems to be at least a very least a lock to replace Larry Fitzgerald whenever he decides to hang up his cleats. Uh, but just looking at the team by itself, can you think of any pieces that? the offense would need to add in order to, I guess, play to Rosen's strengths. I know you said that the short to intermediate is really more of his game, but if I'm thinking about J.J. Nelson, I'm thinking like the deep, high-flying passes that they used to have when Carson Palmer was still there like circa 2015. Should they be looking at adding, let's say, if you know, like if Ricky Seals-Jones actually starts to become a thing in 2018, we're looking at maybe uh, 2019, they start to add in, I wouldn't say like a, a true number one wide receiver, but somebody that fits that archetype. Would you agree that that's something that Arizona should be looking at to play to Rosen's strengths?
2: Uh, well, I think the short to intermediate game for now is pretty much taken care of with Larry Fitz running the slot. Christian Kirk, I think he's going to get snaps out of the slot too. And, you know, Christian Kirk is an Arizona boy, so he grew up there. He's very familiar with the area. He has a personal relationship with Larry Fitz before this draft. Um, and I think he's an extremely smart young man, and regardless if he was throwing rocks at cars a couple months ago, <laughs> but I think he is a very, he was a very pro-ready, intelligent, uh, hard-working prospect, and he was pro as soon as he came into college his freshman season, he burst on the scene, he's got an 18-year-old breakout age. Um, you know, he ran that offense his whole time there. So I love that fit. They've played together in all star games, uh, Rosen and Kirk before. So I like those two guys. It's, you know, after this season, I think it's going to be who knows what happens with later fits. most likely retiring. But I would like to see them add a high end tight end. And I do like Ricky Seals Jones. Is he a top 12 type top 15 top 18 tight end in the league i'm not so sure about that i think he's a seam stretcher but going back to ucla and rosen uh caleb wilson was such a target hog um and jordan lasley was too and and that's where i think jj nelson can play that role jordan lasley definitely stretched the field at ucla and and rosen can hit that those plays i just don't think that's his bread and butter um, but I'd love to see them add uh, a Noah fan next year. <laughs> I'm a huge Noah fan, fan, But I think Rosen just has an eye for those tight ends and can find those throws down the seams. And, you know, young quarterbacks tend to like that, have that easy target. So I would like to see them add a maybe, and we'll see, maybe Ricky Seals-Jones blows it up this year and maybe he is that tight end for them. But if he's not, I think that'd be a definitely a point where I'd like them to add some talent.
1: That'd be great. If, also, yeah, that'd be great if Ricky Sills Jones became a thing, mostly just for sure. my best ball teams. But sure. I mean, yeah, that'd be great.
0: I also felt like Bryce Butler was better than Terrence Williams all along for Dallas, and that's especially on film, which is what we're talking about. So I think that's a little, little nice little piece going forward.
1: That's true. I actually I've forgotten about Bryce Butler. I like the only time that I always I, that I can remember hearing Bryce Butler's name mentioned, it's always in the preseason. After that, the Cowboys seem to just kind of scuttle his talent and then yeah. he's you never
2: really he'll hear much two, about. Touchdown, two touchdown game he'll get added on waivers and they won't see him again
1: right right but that <laughs> they could have be, some it,
0: strange infatuation with terrence williams that i will it, never understand he
1: must have some pictures of somebody doing something hidden away on his phone or something like that because the way that they've scuttled bryce butler's talent then the same thing that they've apparently done with rico gathers it's just like i don't understand how is rico like,
2: gathers like in any time like
1: i don't the know Preseason
2: he had what's the problem there they need playmakers and he was a superstar last preseason
1: I know that I heard that originally I think the team was trying to blame it on uh, Rico was he trying to have like a rap career something like that like the same thing with like Colby's they're trying to do so they tried to blame Who it cares? on that like he wasn't interested in football and now they're trying to convert him or like make him become a primary blocker it's just I, I don't I don't understand that team I mean I it, it's going to be it's going to be an odd season for them already, but I mean that offensive
2: coaching staff is so brutal.
1: Oh, it you is. Like, that's I mean, why I don't
2: want really any part of that Dallas offense. Even like Zeke, like I have concerns. Not even off the field, but just like who else is going to take heat off of Zeke? I don't yeah, think anybody. I'm, and he's good enough to be productive, but is he? Is that offense good enough to sustain being in winning situations where he's going to get the workload and, and the touchdowns that you are expecting as a top? five dynasty asset i'm not so sure about
0: that and he's he's not getting the receiving volume to be productive in those loaded boxes either so you're going to see those loaded boxes non-stop and then he's going to get 50 grabs it's not like dj who's going to get you maybe 80 this year or something like that when at least if the cardinals are bad dj can catch the ball out of the backfield zeke's amazing but he's not the type of running back that's just going to thrive in those garbage situations either
1: Exactly, and just look at their division. I mean, half their division features. I mean, pretty brutal front sevens with either the Redskins or. I mean, if, look at Philly. I mean, Giants okay, but at the very least, I mean, you've got you've got two out of th- two out of the three that I think he's just going to get beat up this year. But I digress. Uh, but uh, so moving on. So we talked about the quarterback position. So now we're going to move on to the running back position. And so I'll admit, uh, when it comes to uh, film analysis, I would say that. As deep as I go in terms of looking at running back film, I remember watching uh, the film on treat Cohen doing a backflip and catching two footballs at the, same time, at the same time, and I thought that was really cool. But that's about as far as I got in terms of uh, video analysis. So for you, Jake, I'm sure that you could tell me a little bit more about film analysis for running backs. So what do you pay attention uh, for, or what do you look for, rather, uh, when it comes to looking at running backs?
2: Uh, I think running back position is my favorite position to watch on tape because I think it's the easiest position to translate to the NFL. And I think it directly correlates and and succeeds in the NFL and maybe it's the easiest. So that's why I enjoyed it. And I think I had more success on it. I mean, I've talked about all these attributes on uh, the Dino Crossroads, Dynasty Crossroads podcast, but if you haven't heard, I'll I'll certainly go over them Uh, again. his, His vision is incredibly important. I think athleticism at times is a bit overrated with running backs. I think if you if you don't have the vision to take advantage of your skill set, then it doesn't really matter in the first place. Contact balance is like one of my favorite things out of a running back. If you don't have contact balance, you're lower on my list. <laughs> and that's part of the reason why I'm not a big uh, Rashad Penny fan. Elusiveness uh, is important. Good feet. Again, just like quarterback in some of these These attributes just carry over from position to position and not even necessarily some of the intangibles. But good feet, good feet, quickness, balance is important. Toughness, receiving skill set is obviously important in our PPR leagues. Um, And again, I don't think you have to be phenomenal at it. I just think you have to be good enough to be utilized there and to beat out the competition in your own backfield. And then versatility being able to run inside, being able to run outside, being able to catch the ball, being able to run routes. From the slot position, or be put out wide, or whatever the thing is, be being used in the screen game. Uh, versatility is important to me, and <laughs> this is this this is a fun episode for me because basically I got to choose the players we're talking about, and they're like all my favorites. So, <laughs> so it works out for you. I'm just re I'm just saying them again once you talk about the player that we're going to talk
1: about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know that, that definitely works out. Uh, so out, out of all the attributes that you listed, I mean, I know those are always I would say those are attributes that lead directly to fantasy production. Of course, that's Mm -hmm. what we care about when it comes to, I mean, regardless of the format, it could be best ball, it could be re it could be dyno. Uh, But when we're talking about just for a running back to actually receive snaps, where do you rank pass protection? Because I know that a lot of, I've heard the narrative spoken that for a running back to see snaps, he has to be good as a pass blocker. I mean, does that rank high or is that just something that you can consider That's... to be important but not as important?
2: Yeah, important, not as important. And the thing is, I talked about this with uh, the RB scout, Adam Spinks, last year when I was on his podcast. A lot of these running backs are just workhorse running backs at their college. They're not asked to pass protect. So part mm. of it is you have to give them time and repetitions to, to have pride on it. For, for it to really matter for them to get better. And the guy that we're about to talk about had some concerns in that aspect coming out of college. He had some concerns last year in his rookie season. Delvin Cook had some issues in the pass protection game. Doesn't mean he's not a special talent. Doesn't mean he can't play on third downs. He's just not going to be asked to block. You know, it's, it's the same kind of aspect that we talk about with tight ends. Like, I want to know where they win. And for fantasy production, I don't think that their blocking is going to take them off the field if their other talents are, are that good.
1: Exactly. So I mean, and just as a quick correlation, I mean, do we really care if a, a player like Jordan Reed is asked to block? No. Like we want him out there Zero. running routes. We want him out want, there making catches. I prefer that he didn't
2: block. That, that's part of the reason why I think tight ends get nicked up so much is because they're asked to do so much physically. Exactly. Run routes. Block. Screw blocking. Who cares about blocking? And I think the argument that, well, if you can't block, you won't get on the field. If you're that good of a passing threat, you'll be on the field at least 75% of snaps. And just give me that. Give me that. Give me the field stretcher, the seam stretcher, the guy that's 6'5 or 6'3 or whatever, bigger than any defender on the field outside of the D line and gets to run out of the slot. Yes. yes, give me that. Give, give me that
1: him. all day long. I want that guy. Yeah, one hundred percent. So now flipping back to the RB position, let's let's start talking about your boy Kareem Hunt. Now mm-hmm. he comes out last year, I mean, leads the league in rushing. But the funny thing is, even after all the production that he that he maintained last year, a lot of folks seem to be down on him this year, which I'm not I'm not really understanding how we got from point A to point B. So is there anything about his talent or what you saw on film that would even lend any credence to some, the the ADP's that you're seeing right now
2: as far as being too low? Right. Yeah, I mean He's probably valued where he should be just because there are question marks. He was a rookie last season. I think that's a good spot for him. I think it would be tough to put him over the top five running backs. I think that's a tough argument, even though I think it can be made. I don't I don't really understand. Uh, he didn't get a lot of play on third downs. We saw Charkanduk West, Akeem Hunt got some snaps last year from him on third downs, and I think... That was from a pass blocking standpoint. I know Matt Waldwin's part of his concern or lack of complete enthusiasm with Kareem Hunt was the Chiefs' inability to trust him in the pass protection or even on third down. So I think that's the concern. Is, it, is he going to be utilized on third downs? Spencer wears... They say he's healthy. I'm not so sure about that. When they bring in Kerwin Williams and Damian Williams and a bunch of other running backs off the street, I don't think they have huge plans um, for Spencer Ware, Even though I do like him as a player, I just don't think people give credit that Cream Hunt is as good as he is. You know, he's not a phenomenal athlete. He came out of Toledo. His metrics aren't fantastic. So he's got knocks on him. He wasn't drafted till the third round. So I think there's just hesitation in there and. Honestly, with a lot of these players, I question the people that knock Kareem Hunt, the people that knock these other two players that we're going to talk to. Do they really watch a lot of film? Because what I see on tape is domination and some elite traits. So, yeah, I love Kareem Hunt, and I, I value him. He's probably... I, him and Kamara are kind of back and forth with me. I, I'd say Kamara's got the higher upside. I think uh, Hunt is probably the safer play there, but Hunt... Kamara and Cook are, are right in a cluster for me.
1: And now, just real quick, when it came to those three players before they were even drafted, where did you have them ranked? Like just taking situation aside, after they were drafted in a vacuum, how did you how did you rank those three guys?
2: Sure. So I had Cook in the and just those three players. I had Cook, Hunt, Kamara, okay. and uh, Cook. I think was I went a little bit back and forth because. Mixon, for me, was my favorite prospect last year, just from a skills-based standpoint. Um, You know, the the situation there for him isn't very good, so I think he has lost value from where... I think he's being overvalued a little bit because if I think he's being overvalued, I think he's definitely being overvalued because I loved him so much. That situation's a little bit scary. Uh, Geo's there. I really like him. So, for me, it was... Mix in or cook, and then Fournette McCaffrey was originally my RB six. I had him behind Hunt and Kamara because I was concerned about him being a true running back. And originally, I think I was I was overdoing it on my hate for McCaffrey because I didn't see him as a as a true running back. And then I came around to him because I saw the pass receiving ability and that role um, in PPR league. So I did move him up to my RB four and then hunt was my RB five and Kamara was my RB six.
0: So if you want to talk about domination, let's talk about fantasy domination with ffstatistics.com. As you guys saw in the Tyler Gee episode, we're now partners with Addison Hayes who runs FF statistics. And I just love the site. So we've included FF statistics trivia. So Jake, I'm going to be a player, and I'm going to tell you all about myself. You're going <laughs> to tell me who I am, all right?
2: Let's, let's give it a whirl. All
0: right. I'm a QB who finished as QB6 in my rookie season. During a sophomore season that most considered disappointing, I scored just 26 less points and finished as the QB10. Despite the four-spot difference in my finishes, I had the same Z-score of 1.2. Who am I?
2: Boy, this is a tough question. Is this, I mean, can I get a hint here? Is he a younger player or is he an older player?
0: Yep, he came into the league two years ago. Is it, is it Jameis Winston? No, it can't be It Jameis. is not. That is actually a year That's or a two year, prior. Year prior. That's
2: a year prior. Take
0: a second guess.
2: <sighs> Let's see.
0: You ready for the answer?
2: Oh, this is just embarrassing.
0: And the answer is Dak Prescott. Oh, my
1: God.
2: God.
1: And we were just talking about the Cowboys.
2: Not even on my radar.
0: Oh, that was awesome, man. man. Yeah, Dak, in a down year last year, still finished his QB10, which is quite surprising because it felt miserable.
2: He started so well. Yes. He started so well and then just fell off.
0: Yep, you can find that on the data charts on ffstatistics.com and – He's a different animal with Zeke for whatever reason. I can't really put my finger on it because it's not like he's a security blanket in the receiving game. Most people just point it to it being a confidence thing, and I I think I might actually agree. So moving on to our next position and somebody that I really love to talk about, what are you looking at at the wide receiver position when you're watching film and just seeing what kind of attributes a player might carry?
2: I want a savvy wide receiver, and that all stems from, Route running ability, I think that's so crucial. And it's the subtleties of the route running. It's the releases, it's the hand usage, the ability to to fight off hand slaps and press man coverage is so important. Awareness, body control, body tracking, versatility, being able to play multiple positions, I think is a huge advantage for an offense. Um, So people can't key in on what routes are running, what plays are running. Uh, Yak ability uh high pointing contested catches I don't know if I said that yeah I mean those are those are I think are the glue to any wide receiver evaluation there
0: so now we want to discuss Adam Thielen we've got Kirk Cousins there we've got a a varying market share and a quarterback that really likes to spread the ball around so we're really going to have to look at the player here what are you seeing when you watch Adam Thielen on film
2: I, he, I mean, he's one of my favorite wide receivers in the league, and, and yeah, you can say there's some bias there, and there probably is. I mean, I'm a huge Minnesota Vikings fan. I grew up in Minnesota. There's, I watch them every week, so I obviously watch Thielen and Diggs and, and the rest of the Vikings offense more than I watch anybody else, so there's probably a little bit of bias there. But there's no flaws in his game. I think he can win on any aspect of, of the field. I mean, his hands are extremely good. They're soft. They're strong. He can high point with the best of them. I'm not saying that he can leap with the best of them, but he can high point with the best of them. His contested catches is crazy good. Route running, his nuances, his ability to hand fight at the line of scrimmage is so good, so impressive. He's faster. He's quicker than people give him credit for. He's a white wide receiver that was undrafted. Obviously, he's going to get undervalued, but for me... And a lot of people think, and I don't know if this has just put him into a bubble, that he's this PPR guy. Like, he needs huge volume. No, he doesn't. Two years ago, he didn't get targeted all that much at all, and he was still a top, I think it was a wide receiver two, right? I think he was a low-end wide receiver two. Last year, he was a top ten wide receiver. He got, he got peppered pretty good last year, but it wasn't up there with the DeAndre Hopkins of the world. It wasn't that kind of target that volume. I think he's incredibly efficient. Last year, he had some really funny drops in the red zone. He could have easily had 8 to 10 touchdowns. So you put 4, 5, 6 more touchdowns on that stat line. So I think he's due for positive touchdown regression or red zone regression. And Diggs, who had a great red zone year, I don't think he's necessarily a red zone target. So I think he's due for negative red zone regression. So for me... They're separated by three years in age, and I just think Thielen's a better wide receiver. And I love Diggs, but part of Diggs' problem is his inability to stay on the field, too. Soft tissue injuries scare me. Being able to play 13 and 14 games every year worries me. So with Adam Thielen and talking about being undrafted, and he's got a constant chip on his shoulder, and that guy works so are and he and he loves it him and Diggs. they were both i mean digs were the fifth round wide receiver I, and i think they're the best wide receiver duo in the league as far as one-two punch yeah i love him i think he's a fantastic player
0: so i was a big fan of Thielen a couple years ago before there was anyone on twitter to listen to what i had to say but i, I didn't know anything about draft pedigree so all i had was football sundays and he looked great on football sundays i can tell you as a Redskins fan, that if anyone's going to see a huge red zone presence, it's going to be Rudolph, and that's going to be big. Uh, I want to throw you on the spot real quick with a couple guys that I'm really interested in getting your opinion on. You mentioned hand fighting, and it just popped in my head. I think DeAndre Hopkins is probably the best hand fighter in the entire NFL, and he has been my number one dynasty asset for quite some time. But with Odell Beckham participating, which we're very surprised about. What are you thinking about those two in terms of ranking going forward?
2: I think OBJ is a better talent. I think Hopkins is a safer bet. I loved Hopkins coming out of Clemson. I, I loved him. But I loved his uh, a guy a little bit better in Cordell Patterson. So there's only so much I can say about that. Um, but I love Clemson coming out. It was, you know, when the Vikings had three picks that, from that year's draft, we drafted Trudy Floyd and Xavier Rhodes, and we traded back up. The, with the Patriots 29 um after Hopkins was taken to get my guy Patterson which I was so excited about you know the most explosive electrifying player I've ever seen in space um I still think he was underutilized and miscast in the NFL you know I just I hate when coaches try to fit um square pegs in round holes you know like let him be where does he win though the, the Typical Josh Norris phrase, right? Show me where he wins and use him at his strengths. Like, why try to make him this sophisticated route runner? He's not. But his rookie season, you give him running back snaps. You get him jump off passes. You get him screen passes. Get the boy in space and let him move, right? So that's a little bit of tangent there. Sorry about that. But, yeah, I think OBJ is a more talented wide receiver. And Hopkins, I think he's that wide receiver, too. And I love him. I'm not sure. I'm not. You know what? I have one Hopkins share. I've, I've traded a couple of them. You just you don't know if that offense gets better if he doesn't get the the target volume, and you know that efficiency with Watson's going to dip a little bit. I have a little bit of concern there because, and it's not to dismay, diminish anything that he's done, but any good wide receiver with that kind of volume is going to eat and put up some mm-hmm. gigantic stats. So I do have some concerns. I've, I've actually even tra- thought about trading the last year that I have, but I, I like both players. All right, so cover
1: quarterbacks, cover running backs, just talked about wide receivers. So, of course, we're left with tight ends at this point. And so when it comes to tight ends, as we were just talking about a little bit ago, tight ends are one of those positions where, I mean, yeah, they are asked to do it all, but we want production. I mean, we want fantasy production, and unless you're playing in a league that uh, has points per block, you're not really getting all too much production if if your player is being asked to stay on the line. So as we mentioned beforehand, if we're looking at a Jordan Reed that's going to be playing out of the slot, if we're looking at an Evan Ingram, which we're going to be talking about here shortly, that's... Uh, that gets put in situations where they're just going to be pummeled with targets. Whatever the case may be, uh, they still need those skills or those basic attributes in order to be put in that situation to begin with. So again, Jake, we'll ask you when it comes to watching film on tight ends, what are some of those key attributes that you're looking for when evaluating a prospect?
2: Sure. I want to see a gigantic version of a wide receiver. Basically, honestly, that's really what I want out of a tight end. And, and that's why I have, you know, I've owned Evan Ingram in my debut League for three years. Him and Hunt I got for like a dollar in a rookie option the first year. So I followed them very closely and they're near and dear to my heart. So I want something special from every position. And and I've talked about it on other podcasts. So I want the tape to pop off to me and I want it to I want it to like shock me, like leave me shook and be like, this guy, like there's something about this guy. I need to watch more to explain what it is, but this guy has it. Um And I'm looking for that kind of receiving skill set at a tight end. And you can be just bigger and faster than everybody else, like Gronk and Kelsey. Or you can be like Evan Ingram, where you're a sophisticated route runner. You have good field awareness. You can jump and high point the ball, not just because you're big, because he's only 6'3", 230, I just I, – I want him to be a good red zone target so that that jump ball, that contested catches, um, that kind of stuff is important to me. So I think Evan Ingram is being – I think a lot of people I've heard lately are saying that he's being way overvalued, which I don't necessarily agree with. I mean, I think you can make the argument that he's the tight end one in Dynasty. Kelsey's 29. There's other targets in their offense. And I think I think Ingram gets killed because, well, look at all the targets, Right. Well, look at the Chiefs. They got Watkins, they got Hill, they got Hunt, and they got Kelsey. Kelsey was their number one target last year. Will he be this year? I'm not so sure about that. The Giants, yeah, you got OBJ, number one, without a doubt. I think Evan Ingram's the second best receiving threat in that offense, especially when you have Saquon coming out of the backfield, catching passes, people playing the run on Saquon, Sterling Shepard out wide. Evan Ingram's going to be running up the seam, with safeties on them. Give me that all day. I don't care about volume in that retrospect. I'm about efficiency and targets that lead to something. If you get peppered with targets, but they don't lead to receptions and stats, I don't care. So blanket statement, volume is king, right? But I want my targets to be efficient. So give me a little less targets with more efficiency and I'm happy.
0: And Jake, I just wanted to let you... No, PFF graded Evan Ingram very, very terribly. The
2: worst <laughs> tight end in the league. Because yeah, wanted to see what you had to say about that. Well, and I've had this discussion with Jason Brown. He's a fantastic analytics guy in the Vikings Twitter community. Super smart guy. Um, he's from Canada. I try not to give him too much of a long time. And and I and part of it is I just like to I like to bust his chops because uh, he likes to rile me up. I like to rile him up. But I I. Complain about that all the time, and part of it's just jokingly. But and he's said it to me, and I obviously know this and understand this. Part of how PFF rates a tight end is, is highly involved in the blocking game. So honestly, I don't care. And I, I honestly thought Ingram was a willing blocker coming out of college. I thought his awareness as a blocker was good. His strength isn't great as a blocker, but I. He put his body in the way, and of course, he didn't have the right leverage sometimes because he's not huge, but that's really what I want out of a blocker is just give me willingness because I do like, for a tight end, the one advantage of being able to block is you can play them there, and they don't know that you're going out for a route in that position when you're in line, but honestly, when Elon was playing and OBJ was healthy and all their weapons were healthy, he was playing in line a decent amount, so... And they, they've raved about him last offseason, how he was doing as a blocker. I'm sure he struggled. I don't, Listen, I'm not watching snaps to see how he did last year as a blocker. I watched him in college, though, and I thought he was being – I thought the lack of blocking was being overplayed last year pre-drop. You just go watch his tape and say that he's not a special talent at that position. And people will say, oh, he's a big wide receiver. Great. That's fantastic. Give me a big wide receiver that plays tight end. A guy that runs – you know mid four mid four 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 five can high point it oh he had a bunch of drops yeah he had some concentration drops but he was also trying to be the target hog on an offense as a rookie tight end best rookie season in 30 years for a rookie tight end and this guy's being disparaged because um he had some drops and pff didn't like him and he's got some other targets in that offense i think it's i think it's a little bit asinine and if I don't value tight ends all that much in single tight end, non-premium, but give me a premium, you know, if you're starting two tight ends or if it's a point, you know, if it's two points per reception or 1.5, man, I love I love tight ends anyways. Like, I, I love to have a dominant tight end because everyone else is scrambling. So if there's a premium on that position, I love it. Single ones, not so much, but I was super pumped that in one of my leagues last year I was offering – my, my 18 first and Cooper cup for Evan Ingram and the guy was like, no way, no way. That owner left a dispersal like three guys came in in a dispersal. God drafted Evan Ingram I was like, oh yeah <laughs> I offered him I offered him Cooper cup just straight up just see what he said and he's like, no oh, I need something else. So I got Evan Ingram for Cooper cup and Kelvin Benjamin and I was thrilled. So I have sold a share own in most places not everywhere and that's the thing i understand that i am wrong a decent amount just like all of us are so it's not necessarily hedging your bet but i don't think it's necessarily smart to have the same player on every roster even though the amount of cream hunt julio jones uh, evan ingram shares that i own is probably too much but that's okay that's okay and adam thielen too
0: He reminds me a lot of early Jordan Reed, and I guess by early Jordan Reed, I actually mean just Jordan Reed when he's on the field, because I can't say this enough that Jordan Reed's plenty elite. He just has to play football. It's the toe, it's the hamstring, it's anything lower body or a concussion. Yeah. So it's just, he's been on the field. I've, I've liked that. And I agree with pretty much a potato sack that tries, and I don't care either. (laughs) I don't want him to block because he might get hurt. So let's have Vernon Davis block and have Jordan Reed go run some routes as a big wide receiver. You touched on this a little bit, so let's elaborate just a little. So watching the same film as everybody else, there's only so many resources out there. Have you ever run into a situation where you've watched the same film but kind of got two different things out of it as somebody else?
2: Uh, of course that happens. Um, honestly, I think a lot of things in life and like as a golfer, as a golf instructor, um, you know, just as someone that's played a lot of sports and, and, and teaches a sport first instinct, I think is incredibly important. So your first analysis on a player is what I try to keep in the back of my mind, no matter what, because there are a lot of people that I respect in this community that are a lot smarter than I am and better evaluate than I am and run circles around me talking prospects. But I always go back to if I'm going to be wrong, it's going to be on my own terms. Like if I'm wrong, it's because my evaluation is wrong, not because someone else I think is smarter than me told me something. But I'm going to trust my own evaluation. So the first instinct on a player is what I try to rely on. And honestly, sometimes it doesn't take all that long to, to get a feel for a player. And yes, I think you have to do your due diligence. I don't think you can watch a highlight tape and then just say, oh, this guy is this. Um, I think you do have to watch at least four to six to eight games on a player to really get a good feel for them. But I also do think highlight packages are a good way to start an evaluation. Again, show me where a guy wins. If I don't like a guy's highlight tape, how am I gonna like his normal tape, right? So I wanna see what's special about a player, and then I'll go see what his negatives are, see what his play-by-play basis are. And if those don't scare me away, I'm gonna live off where this guy wins and trust that analysis, and yes, does it bite me sometimes? Absolutely. I was a big Laquan Treadwell fan. I told you I was a big Cordero Patterson, Patterson fan. I would've been a fan of either of those guys, regardless if they went to the Vikings, because I was a fan of them pre-draft. So we get plenty of things wrong, but the more I do this, the more I'm I'm willing to lie in my own bed. So if I'm wrong, it's gonna be on my terms and, and I'm not gonna be like, oh, I shouldn't have not trusted my own instincts on this evaluation.
1: No, and I think that's fair, and, uh, especially when it comes to Cordero Patterson. I mean, we keep thinking about what is the thing that Sigmund Bloom says, the assumption of rational coaching. Yes, and yes. if we know how Cordero Patterson wins, who is the most rational coach in the NFL? And who is he now going to be playing for? So I think it, if, if Belichick can't figure it out, then there's something wrong with him. And I, well, I'm, I'm, more than ha- <laughs> I'm more than happy to you know, be wrong on that.
2: Sure, uh. sure. That's why I was kind of disappointed when they drafted Sony, because I was like, you know what? I think CPAT's going to get some sneaky carries in this offense. (laughs) Exactly. I could totally see that happening. I've got a few stashes. I think think he might anyways. But um, yeah, I think Sony may have put that dream to bed a little bit.
1: But yeah, yeah, I mean, un- yeah, unfortunately, I mean, well, unless he, well, unless the fumbling troubles come back and then he just get, you know winds up in the doghouse and then here. Comes I think the... I think he'll be
2: I think that I think he'll be okay. And I, honestly, I think that's being a little bit a little bit overblown. Yeah, I think they've been ready to sit running backs that have had fumbling issues, but they haven't invested a first round pick in a running back since Lawrence yep. Maroney. So I I believe he had some fumbling issues too, and they didn't let him just fall by the wayside right away. So. I think he's going to be fine, and that's another thing like pass blocking. It's something that can be improved, and it's been proved that it can be improved. Right? Um, you know, Tiki Barber had a lot of fumble issues. Players can clean that up, not always, and and it is scary that Belichick is his coach, and it's the it's the unknown. If what if this happens? But I'm going to trust the talent. I'm going to trust the situation, and. And I like Sony quite a bit in this situation, even though I was a little bit lower on it initially.
1: Because that can come down to what your running technique, right, as you're carrying the ball and like how you and how you tuck it close to your body. Mm -hmm. That is that is a motion or a, I guess, a a mechanic that runners can clean up like as they continue to get experience in the league. So I'm 100 percent with you there. Uh, So but when we go, when we start watching these games, I mean, hopefully we've got what it's June 21st and we've got a few months or so before the games actually start playing so it's we're now in the dead zone but when the games do come on on you know mondays sundays or thursdays are you there as a fan or are you there like oh my gosh he didn't high point the ball so you know i'm dropping him down my ranks like give me my laptop like you know so how how do you approach watching some of these games like when, when we're actually watching them live
2: yeah i mean i'm a fan first and foremost Absolutely. I mean, I'm a Vikings fan. I have the ticket just so I can watch the Vikings every week. Um, Like that's, that's, that's what got me into football. I mean, that's what got me into fantasy and that's always first and foremost. And the more I played fantasy, the better off I am not looking at my rosters during Sundays or Mondays anyways, like, or at least less, (laughs) like, you know, like you have your laptop off, you're checking all your rosters. like that. That'll drive you insane. And all of a sudden you're not enjoying the game that you love. Right. And that was the same going back to like being a golfer and a golf instructor. Like for me, learning golf psychology was so important because early on I was a perfectionist. So like anytime I make a mistake, I was pissed. Like, and I would just not enjoy my round of golf because I expected to hit every shot just the way I wanted to. But golf is not a game of perfection like that. And uh, the more I train my brain to understand the dynamics of how that affects my ability to enjoy the sport, the more I came away with being able to enjoy it regardless of how well I played. And that's kind of the same analogy with watching football, you know, like I'm just going to enjoy it. And, Obviously, I'm going to enjoy it more if my fantasy team does well, if my real-life NFL team does well. But I'm going to do my damnedest to not allow that to ruin my day or my week (laughs) as hard as that can be sometimes. But um, I'm a fan, first and foremost. That's what made me fall in love with football. Evaluation is like this is all just a hobby for me, and I just enjoy it. My wife would say it's too much of a hobby for me, but – You know what? We get our kicks where we get our kicks. I could be doing much worse things than enjoying football and and talking to some strangers that I call my friends on on Twitter.
0: (laughs) Now, you mentioned Sony Michelle, and we're talking about highlight tapes and films. So I won my first share for pretty cheap the other day. I don't dislike them, and a lot of really smart people have them at their running back, too. So I was pretty excited to have them. So I went and checked out a highlight tape. First play, he reaches for the touchdown on the goal line. And I think back to the Patriots rule that came out last year that you're benched if you reach for the touchdown. I was like, oh my goodness, I have to trade him, which I did, but not because he reached for the touchdown. So we're finishing up here. We've got analytics versus film. That's what Dynasty Crossroads is all about. Uh, We know which side you fall on, but can you kind of bring us full circle with practical application a little bit and tell us why both sides of the coin matter?
2: Yeah, because we're always looking for answers and we're always wrong so much. You know, that's there's always flaws in every process. So if you're not trying to learn from both, I think you're doing it wrong. And even though, like, film evaluation is natural for me. It's something that I enjoy. I think it's a big part of my process. But I also think, one, I'm not smart enough. And two, I don't have the interest enough in numbers. Like, in analytics like that doesn't drive me that doesn't motivate me i don't get enjoyment out of that you know researching stats um putting graphs together like formulas i don't do that stuff so for me that's what i lean on is what's easy for me what's comfortable for me where i've had success from but Realizing that I've been wrong so much, I know there's flaws in my evaluation and there's bias in all evaluation. So trying to improve your own process, I think is crucial. And the amount you can learn from someone that has a different process from you, I think is incredibly important. And for a while, I think it was film versus analytics. And now I feel like all of a sudden, within like the last, year or so I feel like the two are really starting to conjoin each other and it's not nearly the heated debate as it used to be and it's much more free-flowing you know free-loving learning from each other type of analysis going on which makes us all better and there's podcasts where Peter can talk a lot and sometimes it's like you have to listen and you have to pay attention to what he's saying because he's saying so much so quickly that if you don't understand the background of where he's coming from it can come off as so much that you can't understand it or what are you what are your takeaways there but you know I just really enjoyed listening to him talk and about his process and and how it works for him is is so intriguing to me and, and it's so funny like we're both so self deprecating. Oh, I sound like an idiot. I don't know what I'm talking about. You sound so smart and blah, blah, blah. And we like say the same things to each other, which is like, really? Like one of us is wrong. or We're both just idiots. One of the two. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's, 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 it's only been, we've only recorded five episodes. So I think this thing is hopefully here to, here to last, but yeah, um, just learning from him the past few weeks, and I've had relationships with him before, but just haven't really talked to him all that much. So having a podcast with someone with such a different viewpoint from you, where you're actually learning as you go, is is such a, a fun concept. And I hope that that's what our listeners are getting out of it too. And
1: I'd say for at least for one of your listeners, that would be me. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm learning from both of you guys. I mean, because I've been following you guys for however long and. I just remember seeing Peter's long-winded tweet threads and reading through those like wow this guy really likes to type a lot on Twitter and then also <laughs> but then also looking at some of your work as well and it's like well you guys make a I mean a perfect match when it comes to I mean two separate trains of thought but still like not necessarily winding up at the same location in terms of the same answer but at the very least bringing both your perspectives and saying hey there are two sides to the coin here and the, I think both both thought processes can provide value to the total analysis, which is fantasy football. So I think it's I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful place for folks to try and figure some of that stuff out. Uh, so we're wrapping up here tonight, and Jake, again, we want to say thank you for giving us some of your time. But before we get, we get you out of here, uh, are there any projects that you got coming on, or at least coming up here soon, other than the Dino Crossroads that you'd like to share with the folks tonight?
2: Not really. I mean, you mentioned it. You know what? I'm. I write a DLF. I don't write as much as I'd like. Um, And I've talked about this. I'm not a natural writer, and and I enjoy writing when I get the chance to. But it's not the what I enjoy the most. Like I think some people just enjoy the writing process more than I do. And when I have the time and no distractions, it's great. But for me, like I have to be all in when I write. Otherwise, it's just like I get nowhere. So. You know, having a daughter, young daughter, it's hard to find that quiet time to write. So I I much rather enjoy interacting with people on Twitter, doing podcasts. I do my fantasy graphics, you know, I do MFL, Twitter Abby, stuff like that, at fantasy graphics um, on Twitter is is a hobby. And and that's really all this stuff is, is a hobby. And what's going on right now is just the SFB eight avatars. I teamed up with DHH Pastor underscore pastor Clint Fowl. Um, we're doing a bunch of avatars for the Scott Fishbowl where you're, you can screenshot a donation to $5 to Fantasy Cares. And we give you a cool little um, character division, Abby. Um, so, you know, we've probably done, I got to say, over 50 of them. And we just started a couple days ago. And I don't think divisions have been official. like, Invites haven't gone out yet. So I know last year we did we had to have done over a hundred of them. So, wow. Um, it's just a, it's a fun little project that, that we teamed up on and it's just a way to, you know, a small thing to give back to the the fantasy community.
1: And I, yeah, I can't, I could not agree with you more between that, which I need to hit you guys up for uh, an AVI of my own. Between that, uh, what, John Bosch and doing his uh, fantasy eliminator leagues, which, have either you guys done one of those yet? I, I did one uh, with, uh, I forget who the celebrity was, but those, you wind up with some wild rosters, like when you do one of those. Yeah, it was Jake. Oh, that's, that's right, yeah. It was you. Damn
2: it. <laughs> uh, that was the thing. I was a ghost celebrity anyway. Right. So I think John put like 45 or 50 of those together. So he asked me if I wanted to do it. I'm like, dude, like I'm definitely not a celebrity, but you know, it's all tongue in cheek anyways. And I was like, maybe I can scrounge up sixteen people. Like I I don't know about it, but we can try. So that was a fun little process to be involved with that. I've known John for quite a while and it's it's so cool like building relationships with people just through leagues. Yeah. You know, like we started Matt Price's Red List last year and you know, getting to know Matt, getting to know John, they're just such good dudes and we've developed good relationships from and John's always been super helpful. Matt's always been super helpful for me just getting started, uh, regardless of what it is. But yeah, John's done like 50 of these things. And I did a bunch of them last year. And I was like, what is this format? Like, I don't even know. I just didn't. Yeah, I did obviously mine. And I did the open bar auction, which was awful, awful. <laughs> just like my strategy was so poor but it's so hard to have a strategy when it's a format that you're so foreign to but it they're 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 really fun i think john's earned over like six grand off of these things which is fantastic fantasy cares is i think over 20 grand now
1: that's amazing
2: which, which is like five grand over last year and we haven't even gotten started yet yeah um so it's just it's exciting to just, like, have a tiny little piece of and be a part of. And obviously going into my second year in the Scott Fish Bowl is super exciting. That draft is going to be a blast. and It's so cool. Like, it's so important, I think, for, like, fans and, like, new writers to be able to, like, be exposed to the community in this way. Like, last year I got into the Scott Fish Bowl after, like, being with DFF for, like, a few months and i was like whoa whoa <laughs> like this is crazy and uh you know just like getting people through that platform that's like the best platform you can possibly you know interact with people with so uh it's just it's such an amazing event that's going on and um feel free to go to fantasycares.net and donate whether you're in it or not that's just such a good such a good cause
1: yeah i couldn't agree with you more so again thanks jake uh, for giving us your time and uh do you so did do you have you talked with scott yet or did you see uh but preliminarily like which uh, which division you're going to be in for sfb because i yeah. got placed in a i'm in jd and turk
2: oh okay yeah. all right i'm in the dwight Schroot division okay um you can see that on my on my twitter avatar uh i'm a big office fan so
1: all right, folks. So again, uh, please, if you haven't already, go and follow uh, follow Jake on Twitter at NFL Draft Talker. Uh, the gifts, the 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 Aviage for SFB. I mean, anything that sh- if you're looking for graphics on Twitter, Jake's one of the best. So again, we thank you for for coming on tonight, uh, Adam. Uh, what else we got uh, for for the folks this evening?
0: Hey, so we're on episode eleven now. It's been a fun ride so far if we could get some some likes some rates some reviews maybe follow the dynasty manual on twitter we would love the feedback to just get this show as as best as possible so we really appreciate jake coming on and those fantasy cares charities are just phenomenal
1: exactly so once again uh, I'm your host Chris Allen uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen ffwx and you can find my uh, co-host Adam Wildy at Dhh underscore Adam and for the dynasty and manuals podcast thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you guys today dynasty. dynasty
0: is the newest rage. maybe you've played maybe you've made a trade they list and now these fish are all up on you I mean you won three ships they wish they had your so this is it